this is James Domina, co-founder of Redmonk. Uh, we're here for another Redmonk conversation. Uh, luckily today we have David Kramer, uh, one of the or the, the founder of, of Sentry. And we're going to be talking a little bit about observability. Uh, David, uh, like me, probably has strong opinions. We'll hear some of those uh, today. Um, so let's kick off by an introduction. David, why don't you tell me a bit about yourself uh, before we kick off this conversation about observability, where it's going, what are the truths of it, and maybe what are some of the myths? Cool. Thanks, James. Yeah, <clears throat> glad to have the conversation. Um, you know, a bit about myself. I've been a software engineer for a very long time. I like to pretend that's what I still am, uh, though that is not how I spend my days. Um, that's what I'm very technical. And so I started Century. I've started a lot of projects over the years. And I've always focused my time on sort of developer experience, developer productivity. Basically, it was like, how do I make my job easier? And mm -hmm. that is what Century is. And that is what many of my projects have been over the years. But they've always been focused around sort of like CI, CD and sort of iteration time and like get out of my way, basically. Um, it was always just like, let me ship things to customers. Um, and so I think that's where all this kind of plays for me and why or where my interest in technology is kind of clustered around. And so I, I don't know, I'm one of the, the people that is fascinated by just building software that helps me build software rather than building the end result. And so, I don't know, Century probably one of the few things I can build that's useful to okay. make. But so you 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 actively scratch your itches. Yes. Okay. So developer experience. Let's talk a bit uh, uh, a bit more about that because you know for you that's sort of a, a north star, whatever. That's a like a guiding principle. Um, Redmond, we've been talking about the developer experience gap. So we, you know, for us as sort of industry at the moment, that everyone's so much excitement about like developers and empowering developers and developers you know, are more, more enabled than they ever were. And they ever were. And there's this plethora of choices and, you know, they're paid more than they were and everything is great for developers. And it's like, yeah, look at all this amazing infrastructure um, that you can take advantage of. And so, you know, go away and build cool stuff. And then by the way, when you built it, you get to care and feed it and water it and manage it and manage the, the, the brittleness there. You know, it, it ends up being, we 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 say it's a golden era for developers, but then we give them so much uh, busy work, and we end up having them have to manage this thing. So, I mean, does do, do you does does developer experience gap resonate with you? Is that the kind of thing that you'd like to uh, help developers with? Yeah, I think I think it's a gray area because I think we have created a lot of this pain for ourselves, to be quite honest with you. And so, my version of the world is always how do you simplify the problem? which I would say is what an engineer's job is at the end of the day, simplify it to its bare minimum, make it easier to solve an approach, right? And I think a lot of what we've done with technology over the years is we've tried to solve more complex problems, of course, but sometimes we ignore prior art. Sometimes we just like building things. And so I do think there is like an enablement factor that we've done a good job of in the industry, mm -hmm. but we've also countered that with making a lot of complex decisions, kind of reinventing the wheel, like, Good analogies if you look at like the javascript ecosystem there are a lot of solved problems in web software could they be mm -hmm. solved differently yep. however we're now just resolving everything right it's like okay performance was a known quantity as an example right it's like how fast does your web server respond and render and all this now it's like well how small is the amount of javascript you load on the website and then how fast does it hit this arbitrary you know metric that you've decided might matter and then and then how do you optimize that down okay now we're doing like partial there's, there's all these like new technologies, I guess, to make things easier, but they're not really new per se. Yeah. They're just approaching the problem in yet another way. And so I, I, think, I think it's 
As an industry, there's definitely, I mean, implement, re-implement, rinse, repeat, uh, ignore the lessons that were learned. That there, there is, there is, there is quite a bit of that, um, quite a bit of that going on. Um, but you know, the the platforms do change, though. Uh, you know, which which leads it. You know, I, I, I'm saying you know a lot. The platforms change, so I think that that the problems almost do need to be solved again. Uh, because there are there are some specifics, there are some differences. You know, we swing between more uh, thicker client experiences. You know, then we're it's every oh everything is going to be a thin client, and then suddenly we got these like quite thick like React front ends orchestrating services at the you know at the back end. There is a, a difference of a pattern there, isn't there? Yeah, and I would say it's like we always end up in a spot where we're like, oh, this is a better way to solve this problem. And then we, we go very far with it. And so it's like React started is like, okay, here's a cool way to take what is already a bunch of jumbled mess and mm -hmm. make it reasonable. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, the entire application is this thing. And now it's like a thick application that's loaded in your client and you have all these other problems and then you go back and solve them. And I think to be fair, that's like the inevitability of like of iteration and evolution of software. Um, I don't know that everything is quite the same uh, characteristics as that. I think there's this like, there's this challenge of like, there are things, there are problems that could be avoided. Now, how do you avoid them and keep like evolving software? I don't really know. Um, my analogy would be like, we talk, the industry right now talks a lot about what I'm just going to call CDNs because that's what they are, CDNs. And that's not a new idea, right? But now we have all these fancy terms for it. And, and people are like talking about as if like, oh my God, this like solves all the problems. It's like, that's always been true. CDNs solve a lot of problems and they're phenomenal, right? But it's like, did we just forget they existed kind of thing? And I think, to some degree, it's like we all get inspired and we, I say the royal we of the internet mm -hmm. about like grand conversation, even if that grand conversation might be a little misleading and, and to some degree. So I, I look at it often with like uh, <laughs> a big amount of uh, skepticism, I guess, in the sense of like what actually is changing, what actually is exciting, what actually is like going to make things better versus what is kind of a fun fad that I don't know Hacker News is talking about, Which right? Brings now. us neatly to observability. It's a completely new thing, right? Nobody ever had any of these ideas before. It is a new thing in the industry. It is all absolutely new. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, I I will still say that I'm not 100% dialed in with whatever observability means this week. My kind of perspective on it is it is a marketing term, like many things are marketing terms. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I've learned a lot about that over the years. Like, you know, I was a, some company that was famous for like next gen firewall, which I assume was just a firewall. Um, brilliant moves. But to me, what I've come to understand observability meaning is people just want easier instrumentation because at the end of the day, like they didn't have a lot of visibility into stuff through the traditional monitoring, mm -hmm. but it's the same thing. Like a lot of the observability tools are just like, here's a bunch of graphs. Here's a bunch of logs. It's like, it's not new technology necessarily. It's just like, if you take open telemetry, which is part of that big push, well, mm -hmm. it's a of instrumentation. Now, it's a little optimistic, I think, in reality, because what you often find is everybody wants this stuff, but it still doesn't quite get there, or you're still relying on somebody else to make the right decisions for you. So it's, it's not wildly different than it was in the past. I do think there is a renewed conversation in making it better. So if anything, maybe observability is about, hey, we're tired of all these crufty tools that aren't really solving the problems. Let's make them better. And so I think that's probably fair. Okay. So, and, and you know, I, I think the, you call it marketing. I think that's fair. One of the things that marketing does is just give, you know, hopefully identify a language uh, for describing and hopefully solving a problem. 
So, you know, and, and, and the industry thrives on uh, being able to put things in buckets. And so, you know, what, what, is, what, what is your bucket? What is my bucket for for Century or just? Yeah, what's your bucket? Well, I mean, I can I can have the what's your bucket for David Kramer for sure, um, but but you know maybe that and what's your bucket for Century? Yeah, so I guess you know Century is interesting because if I had talked to you five years ago, and maybe I did actually, that could be rough timeline. I think we met once upon a time. Um, you would tell me error monitoring is not a category, and I'd be like, yeah, doesn't make sense as a category, but watch how much money we're gonna make on it. Like kind of thing in, in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. And to some degree, I would tell you like a lot of things are similar. And so like, I think if you bucket things, there are not many buckets at the end of the day, right? There are different ways you can solve a few select problems. There are ways to run your infrastructure, it's AWS, right? That's the solution to the problem. There are ways to sort of, you know, configure your infrastructure that's now standardized in Kubernetes, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, there are ways to actually like ship the code still no standardization there, but there's a lot of startups. There's always a lot of startups in that space. Um, and there are like ways to monitor those things, right? And then we would subcategorize monitoring into two categories, application and systems. The problem is like enterprise companies often, you know, kind of, you know, the bucket's too small for us. Let's just like collapse the walls and flood everything mm-hmm. is how I think about it. So if you ask me, honestly, I would say Century is in the APM category and pretty much every APM vendor out there is not, at the very least, just in the APM category, but they would describe it as APM. And I think that's the complexity that we get with a lot of these generalizations. And so what I say is if you are monitoring the code, the source mm-hmm. code specifically, and you're giving insights about that source code, it's application monitoring. If you're monitoring the underlying characteristics of the system or the device, it's systems monitoring. And I think historically, a lot of people have rotated more towards systems monitoring, I think probably because it mattered a lot more when most of us were running systems rather than outsourcing those problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but Century is very heavily focused on just the application in a sense where we say we only care about what can go wrong from a code change. And if it's unrelated to a code change, we're not here to talk about you're out of memory. Because if we just tell you you're out of memory, what are you going to do about it? Like we think of the world as like filled with constraints. Is like filled with like, you don't run the infrastructure, you can't change the infrastructure, can't change my mobile phone, can't change my browser. So let's optimize around what you can change and give visibility into what you can change. So that's kind of the delta we've seen it, but I would say that we are in the APM category. They have kind of thing. Um, Still waiting on marketing to find a new spin to that so we can uh, deposition everybody else. But um, that's how I think about the lines. But I do think that every few years, they kind of evolve or shift a little bit here and there, so. Okay, so tell me a bit about, you, you mentioned CICD once, um, you know, in terms of this interaction with the source code and, and having that correlation, like, what does that look like from the developer's perspective in using Sentry? Like, is, this, is it to do with like my GitHub workflows or like, what, is, what does it mean to be, to, to, to have that, that, that understanding of, the the source code in terms of the performance of the application yeah so i think it starts with understanding that like technology is just here to make us more productive there's no other purpose for technology and if we all agree on that fundamental then if we are a technology if we are a product serving to develop technology to help people ship more software our only goal has to be productivity and the only way we can make people productive is you can, you can come up with industry terms that I don't care about, but you think about things like mean time to resolution and stuff, mm-hmm. those are metrics of speed and velocity, right? So CICD 
if you can layer in the quality aspect, which you can pretend CI is, it's not quite, but like CI/CD is basically your velocity machine, right? And century, the way we think about it is if, if I, a developer, my day-to-day is I ship a change to the application, something probably goes wrong one way or the other. All Century wants to do is tell the developer, their team, about that problem, give as much visibility to it as possible, and do it as quickly as possible. And generally speaking, that's very coupled to the release process. So usually problems happen within minutes after new code being deployed uh, to end users. And so we're trying to optimize that end-to-end workflow, because at the end of the day, if you can do that, if you can be like, hey, the thing you just wrote a few hours ago is live right now, you're present, there's this bug, you still have the context of everything that was going on in your head, which means you can resolve the issue much more seamlessly. And so we, we go pretty deep in all these things, but that's like the core thesis of everything. And that's mm-hmm. why I'll And like, I've got a graph over here that's like, hey, the error rate's high. I'm going to go look in log files or somewhere, or, you know, response time is low. Let me go figure out where it's, you know, it, there's a lot of these things that focus on symptoms, right? And we're just saying we focus on the cause and the cause that we're heavily focused on is, I made a change to the source code and this went wrong from that change. And so the idea is we can just empower that workflow. Like we do our part in sort of the large ecosystem that is the SDLC. Yeah. And so tell me a bit about like, I I guess, and it's partly based on your history. So like error reporting and how you close the loop there, because that's, that's like, you know, sort of foundational. How do you make that the developer experience? What does it look like in terms of, uh, yeah, errors. That's, that's what, that's what we're trying to fix. So I always describe this as a timeless problem. We'll keep solving it as long as software exists, which is probably good for us as a business. But, um, and interestingly, uh, our 14th anniversary is Thursday uh, for the first commit on Century. So, and I will tell you that solution- Happy, looks- ha- happy birthday, David. <laughs> um, the solution that we built 14 years ago is very similar to the solution today. And the solution that inspires a lot of, uh, like the big cloud vendors that put this in dashboards, right? And all that is, is like, we fingerprint errors, that is, we say, we kind of, the, the simplistic version is we look at the stack trace and we say unique stack trace is unique. We aggregate those together. So you get one entity and then you get stats around that entity. We put that into a dashboard with all the detail we possibly can. And we notify you when there's a new one. And so whenever there's a brand new error that we've never seen before, we notify you. There's a lot of problems with this for what it's worth. And we're actually actively tackling them now. But that core workflow has been like what's driven Century for years. And all it is, is the proactive nature, just being notified when something like new exists. It's just like opening a ticket in Chira, right? You're notified that something, there's a new bug and having the depth of detail. Like there's been, I, I could probably count them on one hand, cases in the 14 years that I can uh, recall that Century did not have enough information in its report to let you know exactly how to solve the problem. And that was not always the case. Like you're like, I remember back in the day with jobs where like we'd be trying to dig through logs, which barely had any information, mind you just to find an event correlating to a problem. And once we found it, it never had any of the details we needed. And we'd spend like multiple days sometimes trying to reproduce and then hopefully resolve a bug. Like there's one that I think like three weeks to resolve. And it, in the end, it was like, oh, it's it wasn't that hard. It's just like, we couldn't figure it out. And Century said it like, that was the core fundamental Century. And it's worked very, very well. And I, I think it was just like, I think over time, we just realized like, hey, we could make this better. We don't have to rely on, you know, logs that we may not even have access to and, and things like that. And, and so that's like the core of it. And we've tried to apply that principle to how we think about everything else we're building. Okay. Okay. So um, it's, it is good to have a guiding principle that guides you through 14 years um, and, you know, into new uh, infrastructures and architectures and so on. Tell me, I'm, you know, there has been 
quite a bit of change in how teams are constituted uh, in, in, in that time, you know, since, since you launched. Uh, certainly today, um, well, there's the, the, there's, the, there's the hipster view of how development is done. Of course, there are shops doing waterfall and sending stuff off to offshore. But hopefully, um, we've got developers a little close to the user, um, smaller teams, um, uh, faster feedback loops. Like, as, 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 as somebody, again, that's focused on the developer, Who's the customer? Is it is it developer? Is it the operator? I mean, you know, at the risk of, I'm I, you know triggering you, I'll say you know like, is it the SRE? Like, where where do you see yourself fitting in to these 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 teams and roles? And are you seeing a change? Have you seen that, or or do you think some of that is 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 hype? Yeah, I would say now, just as always, we've always focused on the developer. We should have an internal value model. I don't know. We spend $1, $1 goes towards developers. That's the rule here at Century. So full developer means no SRE, et cetera. Now they're Jason and we help them out. But the, the way I think about it is SRE's job is reliability. They don't need to own, like, if you think about how teams have grown, actually, one, one example of how teams have grown over the years, it used to be everything, everything was a monolith, single silos owned like end. Mm -hmm their functional area, SRE, security, compliance, like all these things. It's all distributed because you can't scale otherwise, right? Like you can't just have one massive organization that pretends it can own the world. And so Century is the same. It's like democratizing to some degree ownership of your own problems. Like you created the problem, you can certainly resolve the problem, right? And I think SRE, SRE is hard to say what's changed over the years, but SRE today I think has the challenge of like traditional approaches are no longer working and they're not really working because technology is no longer traditional. It's, it's no longer a server application. Right. Mm -hmm. And same problem mobile apps have always had, but like this JavaScript component has sort of forced everybody's hand where it's it just like overnight, every company's like, Oh, we have to have one of these like fast reactive user interfaces. And like, Oh, none of our tool chain works anymore. Like we can't, we don't get metrics out of this. We don't get logs out of this. We have no visibility in anything. And we recognize that early and we're like, yeah, we'll help you. Like we solve that problem. And by the way, you don't actually need metrics or logs out of this. Like at the end of the day, the thing that people generally care about here is errors because a lot of metrics are just for symptoms and a lot of logs are just for auditing and compliance purposes. And those are less of a concern on, on devices. But, and so I, I think it's still in progress is what I would say. But I think this, this heavy push to first party device centric code is causing a lot of organizations frankly, a lot of struggles, but it's causing them to like rethink how some of this needs to work. And I don't, I don't know where it's going to land, to be honest, because some organizations are very much like, all right, SRE, figure this out, figure out how we get visibility and reliability here. But they don't really know anything about the ecosystem because like JavaScript is wildly different than server-based applications. And I don't know what that outcome is going to be. And I think, to be fair, I think that's why you see a lot of like reinvention right now in the ecosystem because people are like, well, let's figure out how we can solve this maybe slightly differently than we solved it in the past. And so I think time will tell there, but we're very focused on saying like, we are here for developers and specifically what we are after is bridging the gap between customer experience and the software lifecycle. Like it's like the Schrodinger, Schrodinger's cat thing. Like if there's like an error and nobody, like nobody cares about it, then why should you care about it? And so it's like, there's errors, 
They affect customers. They're highly visible. You probably want to deal with them. Same thing with performance issues, anything else kind of under the sun. And so that's kind of how we think about it. Okay. Do you need to touch incident management to understand the errors that are most important? So we've talked about it. We have a, a half-functional prototype. The way I think about it is Century is very good at dialing in on specific events. So there's a specific error which tell you all these great things. The problem is you rely on like another tool right now for like just, there's a lot of errors, like just percentage of customers hitting errors, right? Like great tools that do like great alerting or great dashboards or whatever, you rely on a lot of those. But then all you do is you're like, cool, the error rate's high. I gotta go look in Sentry now. And we're like, it's kind of silly. It's kind of silly that people will have to waste their time to do that. So we think of it from the, the angle, like we will empower that somehow over the years. Right now we've got like, minimal investment around that. And we're still thinking about how, how it makes sense. Because again, for us, it's like, we're not trying to be a, a one-stop shop. We don't think that we can solve all problems. Mm -hmm. And so like, how do we play well with the best solutions in each sort of um, piece of that puzzle? What are the best solutions in each part of the puzzle? What are some things you do like? What are the things I do like? I love GitHub. I'm a huge fan. And I especially love GitHub in the recent years where they've invested a lot in GitHub actions, which was sorely needed in the industry. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could say there was a great CD like deployment release tool that I love, but I don't even know what exists anymore because they seem to start one day and disappear a year or two later and nobody's ever standardized on that. Um, I was a huge fan of Heroku back in the day and I, I'm still a big proponent of these, these past like ecosystems. There's, there's something there. Somebody's going to make about things that re-implementing. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I, I think one of the, I, I had a call with this as like the industry is just the history of people remaking remakes of Heroku. It just, yeah. Yeah, they nailed a lot of things. They did. And it's it's sad that it kind of went the way it did ultimately. And maybe we weren't ready for it. And I'm like, I'm like, how do we get that back now? Because that's what we want. Like, just let me ship the code and not worry about all the stuff that I don't want to worry about anyways, right? And so I, I love that. Um, what even do I use in the space? I don't know. It's like, I do so little software these days. It's usually a side project right. and I'm, I'm messing around with TypeScript and I'm like frustrated through the complexity of typing in it and like, so I probably have more gripes than I have positive things to say about a lot of technology. I, I got you to say something positive though. So that was, that was awesome. Um, okay. So we, we, we talked about, we talked about buckets, talked about developer experience. Like, so one thing that we haven't really touched much on, <laughs> we went into developer experience, I think through the tool side, which was my model of it, but I think like microservices, like, again, that's another like huge buzz phrase. Um, uh, but it's, you know, if we're, as we're sort of wrapping up a little bit, like we, we can finish with, with some of the, the problem statement in the same that we started with it. Like, so yeah, microservices has, has created a lot of challenges for people. Again, um, you know, you talked about the value of a, of a monolith, you know, where, where are we now in that balance? And, you know, do, do, do you see organizations as potentially becoming more effective in this? And if not, how, how can you help them with the complexity that microservices bring? Yeah. I actually once gave a talk, it's gotta be like 10 years, I don't know, a long time ago. And I talked about the macro lift model or something along those lines. I don't know. I made it up at the time. And I think the challenge is like, it's the same as all technology. We spot a problem. We try to solve it. We over rotate or overcorrect. And so microservices are a massive overcorrection where it's like, we know we need to break things up. We had SOA, mm -hmm. like that was like service oriented architecture is always thin, right? We're like, we know we need to break things up. We want more independence, more ownership, uh, more autonomy, like more velocity, right? Makes sense. We all agree with that, right? The problem is 
we also don't have the capabilities to run 10,000 little functions and to manage those and to monitor those and to do anything remotely successful around those. And my argument, so I, I was at a company at Dropbox for a period of time, and we were undergoing this conversation, a big transition period of Dropbox. Like, went from, actually, I think, I forget if SVN was still in play, but like basically, Ethereum mm. fully moved to Git, was a complicated decision for the company. Um, but at the same time, there's a conversation about monolith versus microservices. Or in their case, it was not very micro, but like at least services. And it was about repository, which matters because it's the same thing as production applications. It's like the tool chain changes based on how your application is architected. And at the time, I'm like, absolutely, we should go services. We should break this up. We'll do more and blah, blah, blah. And I very quickly changed my tune. I'm like, actually, none of the stuff we have is going to work. Everything will break. And I think you can be successful, to be fair, with kind of any architecture, especially if you do it from the beginning. You're going to have different challenges, of course. But I think, again, I, I think services are important. Clear boundaries are important, but they don't have to be tiny. <laughs> and I think for what it's worth, this is like my challenge with some of the new wave of thinking, like serverless. It's kind of cool for some cases. Um, I don't have a use case for a lot of it, but like, I'm not going to ship a thousand functions that I can't keep track of, that I don't know what's going on, that I can't test reasonably well together, like all these other problems, right? And so I don't know, like finding the middle ground is, is where I think it is. Um, Century is still primarily a monolith, has its problems some days, but other days it works very well for shipping, so... Awesome. Okay, so uh, final questions then. Like we, we've spoken, you know, I think you've given a pretty good articulation uh, uh, about this, but we're talking about, you know, talking about APM, uh, we're talking about observability. Like um, there's a lot of confusion in the space. One of the ways to identify what you're good at is what you don't do. So what don't you do? What do you do? And what, my friend, is your call to action? We, uh, I don't know, maybe in like five years when we're a massively successful company, we'll do this. But in any near-term future, we will never monitor your devices or your systems, your infrastructure. It's great companies that are great at it. Let them do it. Um, we will also likely not expand beyond the developer audience. Uh, I think it's super important you target your customer. You, you focus on your actual customer. And I think most companies make mistakes by not doing this when they become successful. Um, and so we're very focused on how do we just make the developer happier, frankly. That's my, mm -hmm. my you can measure happiness. That would be the KPI century. How do we make them happier when, when things are on fire, right? Because it's not a fun situation when you've, when you've shifted a bug to production, especially that like, causes an outage. Um, and so where we're really focused on is kind of that journey. And like the, the simplistic short-term version is, you know, we've got a pretty good product. Um, a lot of areas for improvement in it in the, in the core, but like this sort of errors workflow that we built is pretty good. And we're like, we need to build that for every kind of sort of data stream and problem you can imagine. So the, the short-term versions, we launched performance monitoring some time ago. It's been a little while. I forget how long now. Um, it's still a work in progress as many things are. Um, but the thesis behind performance monitoring is like, okay, we can tell you when there's an error. And we can give you all these details about it. And hopefully we can route it to the right people and we can do it very quickly, right? Why can't we do the same for performance problems? And the problems part is actually important there. And so my example would be a timeless problem in software is I wrote a database query that is like executing in a loop and I could easily optimize that out. And that actually yep. has, right? And so that's a timeless problem. And so if, as an example of something Century is going to do this year is as simple as, hey, you wrote a database query that's executing in a loop. 
and you just shipped it to production. It's that easy. It's just a very simple, simple story to tell. And we're just going to find lots of those variations, whether it's in it's straight up errors, it's performance, maybe it's uh, visual uh, issues with the website. Could be security. I don't know. Everybody wants me to do security, but um, <laughs> but that's how I think about it. It's like, right. what can we do with code changes that's causing issues for our customers? Let's instrument those things. Let's build a great workflow around it. Let's see how the industry shakes out kind of thing. And our challenge, of course, is we do it for every technology. And so like, even though we focus a lot on JavaScript and web software, we've gone into like video game engines and stuff in recent history. And it's, it's interesting, the similarities, but also the complexity and differences in technology. So yep. that's, that's been a fun part of our focus. And so, okay, that's a little bit of thought. What should people do? Why should people, when, 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 when should, when should somebody that's watching this like, okay, I heard David, like, what should they do? What like what problem when that problem arises, they should go to Sentry and be like, like, what's your call to action? Call to action. Uh, um, I mean, generally speaking, the day before you introduce the bug into production is when you should set up Sentry. I think folks <laughs> fine. Well, the best the best time to to start using Sentry is today. Oh, it's 14 years ago. The second best time is is yesterday, right? Yes. Um I think usually like people set it up from the beginning because if you set up Sentry when you're like just starting a project, you don't actually need anything else. Like ignore the performance monitoring. You don't have performance issues. You don't have any scale or volume or customer. So it doesn't matter. Um, but you have errors all the time. <laughs> and so people often set it up day one because then they don't have to worry about like where where are the logs in AWS or Google? How do I get to them? And how do I like know about all these things? So it's, it's like a day zero instant value prop. And we try to grow with the company over time. But it's very much like, if you have a massive QA team and you ship once a month, let's be honest, you probably you probably can get away with continuing to pay your massive QA team and you're fine. Um, but if you're like, how do I just ship software more quickly and minimize mistakes? You're not going to avoid them. Let's let's be honest. Entry mm -hmm. sweet spot is like we we just want to empower you to like sort of be responsible and hopefully to not light the world on fire continuously or at least minimize how much it burns whenever you do. And so. I think it's 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 an ever present thing, but most folks will pick us up when they start a new project, even big customers. It's like I'm I'm building a new mobile uh, brand or application. Go, I'm going to start with Sentry on it because I need that visibility as we go forward. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's awesome, uh, David Kramer. Uh, thank you so much. That's David. I'm James. That's Redmond conversation. Uh, hope you found it interesting. Um, there'll be plenty more. Uh, if you have any thoughts, questions. Uh, stick them in the chat. If it's for David, go to Sentry. Let him know, or just you know, I'll let him know if you if if you have that question. So yeah, feedback would be much appreciated. And that's a wrap.